Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hey, I'm Stacey Sims, the host of Diabetes Connections, a weekly podcast. Diabetes Connections is the radio news show I always wanted to hear. Conversations, not just with inspiring people, because, you know, that's great, but also with newsmakers, a place to ask hard questions and learn what makes companies and groups that we rely on really tick. I started the podcast back in 2015 because... I had had enough of my regular radio news job. I was in local radio and TV for 20 years, and I was really ready to do something more meaningful than news, weather, and traffic on the 10s. My son was diagnosed with type 1 as a toddler 11 years ago, and while I do share personal stories on the show, Diabetes Connections isn't really about us. I am not going to tell you what to eat or how to dose, but I will share incredible stories, everyday stories and news and information that makes a difference in our community. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday on every podcast app and at diabetes-connections.com. Spend an hour a week with people who get it. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. Uh, and my very special guest today, uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, to not butcher her name, is Anna Hiverinen. Yeah, correct. That's me. Nice to meet you. Nice. Well, I like even in the 30 seconds from the time that you explained how to say your name to when I said it, uh, I, you know, just that anxiety was taking over. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody can ever say my, my last name correct, so it's okay. But you said it pretty well. That, that's pretty good. Okay, well, good. I, I feel good about that because there's nothing worse than starting an hour-long interview with somebody uh, and then just getting their name wrong right off the bat. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Anna, uh, you are, I guess, best known for uh, being a mixed martial artist and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete. Yes, that's very correct. Uh, and we were we were talking about uh, the first episode of Diabetics Doing Things uh, was followed a or chronicled a, a boxer uh, from Ireland. Uh, so it, and I think you were the first combat sports athlete since then. Uh, and and you're from Finland, so both uh, combat sport athletes from overseas. So uh, really excited to get back on the combat sports train and kind of dive in. Yeah, me too. Well, let's dive into it. So. Give us the uh, give us your di- diagnosis story uh, and kind of tell us how you uh, you know came to join the type one diabetic family. All right, so I was diagnosed in 1999, and I was 11 years old. Uh, so I can't remember everything in detail. It's it's quite a while ago, uh, almost 19 years. Um, but I do remember it was the summer. 
and I had been losing weight really rapidly and very, very thirsty, very tired, um, all the typical signs. And we were in this amusement park with my cousins. And I think it was like right after that, um, that my parents and, and my, my cousins were kind of like, you know, that's not quite normal, you know. And um, we went to the health center there in Helsinki and my blood sugars. This is in, a, I don't know if it's a European uh, units, but it was like 35 millimoles per liter. It was very high. Um, and that was pretty clear case. So I definitely didn't understand much what diabetes was and what was about to change. But the only thing I, I heard was needles. And I was so scared of needles that I think that part freaked me out more than actually having the diabetes that I had to inject myself. That was, that was the scary part for me. <laughs> so uh, going, you know, before, you know, before you were diagnosed, obviously you didn't have to encounter needles almost ever just like you know at a checkup or whatever what was the was there a moment where you were like finally over the the needle fear or is it still something that bothers you yeah no no not anymore um but yeah it definitely took me a while i think i was i was quite young so i did kind of understand that i had a diabetes but at the same time uh it took me a couple of years to really kind of understand that what it was and take it seriously i guess um but yeah it, i think what would I say? Maybe even a year. Like I would inject myself, but it was always like a hassle. Like, oh my God, like I have to do it again. And then my mom is like, do you want me to do it? No, I don't. I want to do it myself. So I got, I got over it, but it took a while. Cause see, when I was, when I was very little, I don't know where this came from, why I was so afraid of needles, but it was like, it was almost like a phobia. So it was a huge overcoming for me when I got diagnosed. It's always interesting because you know, nobody really likes getting shots. I mean, I think that's yeah. a pretty much universal uh, yeah. fear. Um, and some people obviously have a, have a bigger aversion to it than others. And I think it, when, when people who don't have diabetes see people giving injections or they are talking about the, those dreaded, awkward conversations like, well, if I had diabetes, then I, you know, I, couldn't, I could do everything, but I couldn't give myself the shots. Uh, and it's like that's such a huge part of it, uh, you know, needles, whether it's a continuous glucose monitor or a pump or a, you know, multiple daily injections. Uh, needles are a part of your life and, and, you know, testing your blood sugar. And it's just it's just interesting to see the development, even like yourself, where you had like a clear, you know, true fear aversion of needles and then eventually sort of wore off. Yeah. And it's like you kind of don't have an option. I mean, <laughs> you're going to have to get over it. And at least at that point, um, so that's a while ago. I can't. I, I don't think pumps were very common at that time. Uh, at least I wasn't even offered it when I was a kid. Uh, and I also have noticed, like at least recently, that it seems to be a way more common thing here in USA that it still is in Finland. Uh, I was actually just visiting home, and I was asking, like, what's what's your? Because um, I, you know, I haven't lived in Finland for the last seven years, so I always go, and I often go for the checkups there, just because. Um, our healthcare is, is free, but uh, yeah, it's, they they say it's more common, but it's I don't think it's as common as here. Hmm. It's not. There's a lot of people still in injections. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know when I that's something that I always like to ask guests who are from other countries, because I think that people here in the U.S., U.S. and U.K. and Australia are all fairly similar uh, yeah. in terms of 
you know, what, what kind of coverage they get from an insurance perspective or from, uh, you know, the UK or Canada, for example, some of the government uh, help that they get. But the, you know, the offerings are relatively similar and the thinking is relatively the same. Uh, so it's interesting when you go a little bit further out, um, you know, Finland, I've talked to people in Sweden and they're all on multiple daily injections. Not, not exclusively, but I think like you said, it's more common. Yeah, more common. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and for here, I think, you know, I, I got put on a pump and, and I think people now like very recently diagnosed people are being offered pumps just because the technology is so good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And so it's interesting, you know, you were, you were diagnosed, you said like 19 years ago uh, when you were 11 and it, it's just the, the difference between in the last 20 years of the, of the ability and care of, and technology that you have as a type one, it's pretty dramatic. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it really is, you know, today I believe, and it's not just like a, not just a headline, but it, it is, if there is such a thing, it is the best time to live with type one diabetes today just because there's so many other options compared to 10, 20 years ago. Exactly. And it's exactly that technology that has given us so many tools that it's amazing. You know, um, I actually myself, I'm still in injections because because of the type of sport that I do. It would be very, very difficult for, for me to have a, like a device attached to me. Yeah. So too much. <laughs> I imagine that uh, somebody would just pull it out. They would they'd yeah. try to hurt you, right? It would be very difficult. I actually, I came across to a wrestler guy. It was um, through one of those a diabetic, I think a Facebook group it was. Uh-huh. And I don't know how he managed to do it, but he wrestled with, with the, actually it wasn't a pump, it was a continuous glucose monitor. But even oh. some how do you keep it intact? Because wrestling is a contact. And he, he said he had some crazy tape he was putting on. And <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but I don't I don't know if I would ever be able to keep it intact. That would be. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I've i only recently gotten a continuous glucose monitor. I don't know what took me so long. I think I just thought it was going to be too expensive. And then, I, you know, anyway, it's not. But uh, the... So I have one now and I play basketball. So I, I wore it on my arm the other day to play basketball for the first time and was just shocked that at the end of the game, like nothing happened to it, uh, which was cool. It was, it was nice to be able to like look at the numbers after a game. Uh, but yeah, in, in a sense, I'm a very physical player. So I thought that, you know, it would be bumped or like get knocked off or something, but yeah, just like the, it's, it's so cool. It's almost worth the risk uh of it getting pulled out but it's interesting yeah if i was a wrestler or or a mixed martial artist i would definitely not have one yeah i mean maybe maybe i'll try that i think the pump maybe not but the continuous close morning maybe worth a try you know and i think it would definitely help me um because the nature of the sport you know it's very aggressive and um when we have like hard sparring sessions and stuff my blood sugars tend to to rise because of the cortisol, because of the adrenaline. And sometimes it's very hard to catch in time, you know. I try to check my sugar during the sessions and, you know, take a little bit of insulin and stuff. But if I had that continuous glucose monitor, it would definitely help me um, with the sport. Having said that, I would just stay intact. Um, I would probably have to take it off for certain sessions, though. Sure. But, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, the the cortisol and the spiking of blood sugar because a lot of the questions that we get from people on the podcast uh, or listeners of the podcast is around preparing for exercise. So uh, for those for those who don't know, and I think um, I'm a little bit more familiar with combat sports with friends who are who have been mixed martial artists and also working um, 
in the boxing world for a little while. I think people, as a general rule, don't understand how much preparation goes into a single fight. Just just to get to any time where the lights are on and everyone's looking at you and you're fighting, um, there's so much work and so much conditioning and so much training. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that do for your blood sugar? And, and I think, you know, take us through your, your preparation and how you not only prepare as an athlete, but also as a diabetic. Yeah, so definitely it takes a lot of planning and a lot of discipline <laughs> and a lot of monitoring. Um, so since I don't have a continuous glucose monitor, I need to, you know, when I'm preparing, I find like because the training gets very intense and very hard, that's when my blood sugar starts to fluctuate a little bit more or like get a little higher. So I need to monitor even more. So I, I always probably goes to close to at least 10 times a day that I check. Uh, some is less, some is more, depends. But um, I have a very tight schedule. So when I'm in the preparations, whether it's for a, for a fight or a tournament, um, so I have a set training schedule, what I eat, I meal prep my stuff. It's very, everything is very calculated. And also for combat sports, we need to make weight. So there's often the weight loss process going on as well. So monitoring what I eat for my diabetes, monitoring what I eat so, so that I lose weight, that I still recover, that I still have enough energy to train. So a lot goes into it. So I um, I always check morning, you know, before I train, during training, after training, before I eat again. So there's a, there's a lot of checkups and um, very, um, how, how should I say, depends on the day. So sometimes, some weeks can go much easier. Usually when I start to get quite tired hmm. uh that's when my blood sugars i can see that they are like cr- continuously high and that's need i need to pull pull back a little bit because um yeah i've been in those those points i've, I've probably overtrained a little bit and i just can't get my blood sugars come down because my body's too tired so that's when i need to rest scale down for how many ever days i need to do that to get my sugars back in check because if i keep going like that then that's gonna do me worse having so high blood sugars and keeping with that training regimen. So it's a lot of like, you need to know your body and what's going on um, also outside of the training camp that might add to your stress. Yeah, and I think that's one of the more important things about being a type one diabetic, but also an athlete. Uh, and that's one, a big philosophy that I, um, that I rely on for my own training, listening to your body. And just like, if you really need to sleep like your body's telling you you're sending a message so you know obviously like there are times where you know overtraining becomes an issue uh, especially for a fighter i think like yeah you know you're you're going very 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 hard for a long period of time and like because there's no quote-unquote season seasonality like there are with some other sports uh you know how do you how do you try to you know make sure that you're tapering off accordingly or you know the right way um and making sure you're not biting off more than you can chew yeah, like you said, with fighting, it's uh, it's difficult. There's definitely no seasons, and there is never unless you sign with an organization who can give you um, fights more regular. You might have an idea. Okay, I fight now, and then again in three months. But um, a lot of fighters are not necessarily signed to just one organization. So you might fight in another one next month, and then somewhere else the next. So it it is very stressful. Um, you never really 
know when exactly you will be fighting next. There's so many factors going to it, like fi finding the fight, uh, finding you an opponent, and then there's always the high risk of somebody getting injured and pulling out of the fight too. Right. So, um, if I have a, let's say, eight to six weeks, that's usually an ideal preparation time and I can get ready. And after that, it's, it's you know, I can take a little break. Sometimes um, the fights can get, get you a little bit more closer to each other. And then, you know, it, it's really difficult with the fighting world, I would say. Like right now, I just fought um, five, six weeks ago. Uh, and I knew I wouldn't be fighting probably until December. So I knew I can take a little break. Um, I took a week off and then I just eased back into training, just training once a day, um, maybe five days out of the week, just, just light. And then as of a week ago, I started to get back into like a little bit harder training. Um, I, I love how for a fighter <laughs> that taking it easy is training once a day, five days a week. <laughs> I know it sounds good, but I mean, I, I wasn't training like hard. It was like a couple of lifting sessions, a few rounds. It's just, yeah. So I mean, for a normal person, it's definitely a lot. But for a fighter who trains full time, it's usually two sessions a day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure to give our, you know, our listeners a some more context around how. And I, I don't want to. I don't mean to overhype it, but I want to. I want to paint a picture of how difficult it is to train, just from a discipline perspective, and how much work goes into it. Um, because for me, I, I was I was working uh, as a marketing team member of the U.S. 2012 Olympic team, and they would go every. Their average day was they would run seven miles. They would do a, a strength and conditioning workout afterwards, and then they'd have two hours of boxing work or sparring uh, in the afternoon. And that was like their general, that was like a regular day. Uh, and, it's, <laughs> yeah. th and that, that, that much work is just, you know, it's, it's astounding for a regular human. Uh, you know, I'd need to sleep for a week after something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta remember. So this is not just some regular person exercising. So anybody who's training, whatever sport, you know, professionally, it, it's a lot of training. So it is a lot, it's usually twice a day. So this is definitely not like that the regular person should aim for, you know, if you train four days out of the week, that's very, very well, you know, so don't need to aim for these kind of amounts of training. Um, but as a fighter, uh, similar to boxing for sure, MMA, jiu-jitsu, whatever. So um, when I'm on preparations, it is usually um, at least four days out of the week, I have a double session. And then maybe Wednesday and Saturday, I have a morning session only. That usually gives me like Monday, Tuesday will be very hard. And then Wednesday night I have off. So then Thursday, Friday, I can go harder again. And then I have just morning on Saturday and then I recover the, over the weekend. Um, and when I'm not in preparations, then it's not say twice a day, every day, or I might have a few days that I do twice, but the intensity is a lot lower. So they're more, more like skill work and just maintaining the fitness. But when the preparations are on, the sessions get a lot hotter. And I train here at American Top Team headquarters, which is a professional MMA team. So they have a very organized training schedule for the professionals, which is really nice. Um, and uh, we have a plenty of like heart sessions to choose from. <laughs> 
And it, because it's kind of it's a team sport, but at the same time, it's an individual sport. So everybody is in preparations at different times, and everybody's schedule is kind of a little different all the time. But um, what would I say? Like a, like a regular fight camp would be maybe one hour drills in the morning, Monday, one and a half hours of wrestling after that. And then at nighttime, you would maybe have a striking session, skill work. Tuesday is always a hard sparring morning. Then at nighttime, um, maybe some MMA drills or conditioning. Wednesday, same thing, maybe wrestling, striking. Then Thursday is always a sparring in morning again. And nighttime, whatever everybody has scheduled. And then usually grappling in the morning on Friday, conditioning at night, sparring again on Saturday. So it alternates a little bit what whoever is working what. And then, yeah, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot of preparation for sure. So, and I think like, you know, but as we go into like, that's the training aspect. So that's one. Uh, and you brought up a good point earlier about weight uh, and, and making weight. Um, another thing that I think people sort of take for granted uh, as, as watchers of, of the sport. Um, mm. So walk me through, first of all, just like a general, give me like a general idea what making weight is like. Then talk about what making weight is like for someone with type 1 diabetes. And then you sort of how you approach and think about the making the weight aspect of the sport. So for MMA, people tend to cut a little bit more weight than I would say for maybe boxing or Thai boxing. Um, partly because the weight class is a little bit different. In boxing, there's more weight classes than in MMA. Um, so in MMA, they go... Uh, every 10 pounds so for women will be 115 125 135 145 so um in general weight cutting i mean ideally if you have a six to eight weeks preparation you can make weight fine it's when it comes more problematic is if you get a short notice fight which a lot of fighters have to take in their career you know you can have like a few weeks notice and then um, most of the time they make a catch weight at that time, but in general, you need to be very disciplined with your diet. You need to start early because <clears throat> you're not going to lose a lot of weight in a short amount of time. So fighters usually try to get to a pretty low fat percentage, as, as low as they can. And then the rest remaining, it's really up to a fighter what they like, probably somewhere between, I would say, 5 to 10 pounds uh, then cut from water right before the weighing. So that usually starts like some people cut a little bit of water during the fight week, and then the major cut is like um, during the the weighing day. So if weighing is at Friday night, they'll start in the morning. Um, and like I said, this is you know a personal preference. Some people cut more weight than others. Um, I personally don't like to cut a lot of weight. Because of my diabetes, um, so I'm I'm a little bit in between. I feel like I could probably cut a little bit more, but so far I haven't attempted, and I've been doing just fine. So my weight cut is very easy. So I um I diet down. <clears throat> I'm pretty lean all year round. So when I diet down, I go maybe down about six pounds, five six pounds with diet. And then a couple of pounds, like maybe four pounds with water. And that's a pretty easy one for me to do. Okay. Yeah. So, 
I think that's sort of the general idea of and, and thoughts behind you know cutting weight. So now as a as a type one, uh, for you, but also you know somebody else, some, what what would what are the things that you have to think about that you have to prepare for that you have to be aware of uh, throughout a weight cut? Well, for me, definitely, you know, there's always the risk that my sugars can drop low, and I'm gonna have to, you know, have have something, have a little bit of sugar, have have something, and. So far, I haven't had any problems. Um, also, because I don't cut that much weight, like if, if I need to have a little bit of sugar here and there, it's not going to kill my weight cut. But I have some friends who do some so intense weight cuts that, you know, that little bit of carbs can put them back a little bit. So for me, it's like anything else, any other day. I just need to <clears throat> be really on top of my blood sugars, um, what I eat. And just pay extra attention during the day that I'm going to stop my weight cutting. So this is more the, the day off, uh, the weigh-ins. Um, and like I just did five weeks ago, um, I just made sure I had a little bit of honey there. So if my sugar happens to drop, I can just put a little bit of honey in my mouth and that will be fine. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know if there are other diabetics out there doing martial arts. I would be very curious to know how they do it. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think obviously since our show is going to be centered around that, hopefully that some other, yeah. some others will see it and we'll be able to have those, con- be able to have those conversations. If anybody come out, please connect. I, w- I would love to. Um, but yeah, so it's more, more for me just to make sure that my sugars don't crash during the weight cut. So, you know, when I'm eating less carbs, when I am, um, you know, before the weight cut starts, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking anything. So just being aware of that is maybe the major key. So I'm going to usually check my sugar and just make sure it's rather, rather a little high, higher there because I'm not going to be eating or drinking right. anything. Yeah. Um, quick, one more quick question on this, and then we'll kind of move forward. Um, how did you decide on honey as, your, as, as the way to treat your lows while you were training? Oh, honey, this is more for the weight cutting process. Um I just like it because obviously, you know, if if you put it in your gums or in your mouth, it's gonna get absorbed really fast. And honey is just pure sugar; it's not gonna, you know, I don't really have to eat anything. But it could be also something else. It's just I can't like when I'm losing water weight from my body, I can't drink anything. I could probably eat some little bit of candy, also, but I like honey. <laughs> my preference. Yeah, and I think that that's more what I'm getting at, right? Because you can just put it in your mouth. You don't necessarily have to eat it to get the absorption. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Just an important distinction for people not maybe not as familiar with cutting weight. Uh, Really interesting. Um, Okay, so now now you've made weight, you've trained. uh, Let take us through the day of the competition. How do you you know you you talked about that your blood sugar spikes, that you get that cortisol, that stress, um, that adrenaline. Uh, what do you what do you do on the day of a of competition to make sure that you're right and ready to to perform at your best? Okay, so here is a major key: is the control of mind because. Wait, major ma- major key alert! We got to say that one more time. I was wondering yeah, sure we get control it. Control your mind on the day off because it doesn't matter what the sport. You know, everybody gets nervous, especially fighting. There's no fighter who doesn't get nervous. Everybody gets nervous. Um, more or less. So 
I'm sure all of you diabetics, if you ever had been nervous about anything, you know, you know, your blood sugars can kind of start rising. So this is what I need to be the most aware of. And I, I have competed in jiu-jitsu and all, all fights before. I've had some occasions that it was horrible. Like I couldn't, I couldn't control my my nerves at all. I was too nervous and my blood sugars just wouldn't come down. They were like way too high. And I'm sure that sabotaged my <laughs> performance. So I worked a lot with my mind to keep as calm as I can. I've done a lot of meditation, a lot of breathing techniques. And this past fight, I was able to keep my blood sugars really well in control. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> so that's definitely, so after the <clears throat> weight cut, it's very important you hydrate and you eat really well, um, depending how much you've had to lose weight. And during the day, I make sure I eat something that's going to be easily digested that's going to give me the energy I make sure that I eat probably for me four hours before I'm going to fight and then I just have something a little bit um, throughout the night before I go um, definitely checking the sugars every maybe 30 minutes before my my performance and I don't like to go in the cage too low there is more, more, more likely the sugars are gonna be high during the fight, but and I can handle that. If it ever drops low, I would need to stop the fight right there. So I don't want that to happen. I'm not really worried about it because I know my body. I know that in those situations I don't go low, but you never know, you know. If if I overshoot the insulin right before the fight and it just crashes, then that will be it. So I don't want that to happen. So making really sure that the sugar stays in control, breathing staying as calm as I can as long as I can. Yeah, it's interesting. The more competitors, athletes that I talk to, mm -hmm. the more I hear that. And and that was very similar to me. I if I went too high, I that would affect my performance and I and I could I could always tell if I was too yeah. high. But you know, in a basketball game, I can sub myself out and give myself some insulin and come back in. For a fight, it's different, right? There's no, you know, if you you're in there for the allotted time and you can't get out. So um, I think a lot of people approach it that way. Like, you know, it's better to be a little bit high, you know, and, and go in, you know, one, I, I found that I always played the best basketball. I, I was able to focus my mind on the competition rather than my own, my own health when I was around the 150 to 175 range. Yeah. And, I, <clears throat> and like that, that wasn't too high for me to be affected by it, but also I knew that I wasn't going to crash low in that amount of time. Yeah. So um, w when you're in there, obviously, like, and you prepare that way, it, you do so just so that you don't have any other, anything to worry about in your mind except for the task in front of you, right? Exactly. You've got to be very, very focused. And as I, I, like to, I, I like to not, you know, there's people get in the zone in, in their own way. So you need to know what's your zone. So my zone, I like to be very calm, poised confident but controlled and i don't like to think a lot i like to just be as blank as i can when i'm going in there and uh how do you how do you create that environment for yourself as you're going into those types of performances that's a practice so i have a mental like toughness routine that i do and you need to you need to be doing that always like always before training it needs to be your, like part of your daily routine um because you need to learn how to get in the zone. You need to practice being in the zone. You can't just expect 
to all of a sudden be in the zone when you need to. So I think that's definitely helped me to get into the zone and kind of get to know myself and know how do I perform the best. Some people like to get very hyped up, you know, some people like to talk a lot, relax, like it depends. I, I'm very quiet. I don't like to talk a lot before my, my performance. So definitely knowing yourself and you need to do this during the practice process, um, not right when you need to go and perform. Right. Sort of one of those things like, and I, and I talk about this a lot, like 2017 quick fix culture. There's really no quick fix yeah. to learning how to get in the zone. No. <laughs> it just takes a lot of time and practice and repetition. For sure. Um, how do you apply those same types of principles? How, how does that daily practice affect your, your life with type one? Um, does it, does it help? Do you find that they're, um, symbiotic of each other that they you know one affects the other or or that they're more separate uh do you mean my sport yeah uh, your sport and, and your your sort of mindfulness practice uh your getting in the zone approaching uh the reason i ask being that you know there are unexpected things that happen as a as a diabetic right you can eat the same thing do the same workout and have a completely different blood sugar reaction um, oh yeah how, how does your mindfulness, you know, uh, affect and going in, go into your walk with diabetes? Well, when I started doing that mental work, like really religiously, it was about a year ago. I found this um, kind of like a mental coach and I've been working with him ever since. And I just, I always knew how important the mind is with training and just everything but i wasn't really consistent with my practice and then um the meditation and breathing really changed everything for me in my life in general i feel like you're much more able to handle the stress or something that happens very suddenly versus if you if you're not ever stopping and calming down and um centering yourself so i found that to be crucial for my sport, I have dramatically improved my performance, but it's definitely helped me to manage my life and my stress and my diabetes a lot better. And I find that if I meditate every morning, my blood sugars are way better because my stress response is better. So that's a huge thing. Uh, what kind of meditation do you do uh, in the mornings? I like to use this app called Headspace. Okay, great. Yeah, I use Headspace as well. Yeah, I love it. It's really cool. Um, I'm sure at some point I could probably start developing my own routine, but so far uh, I've really enjoyed that app. Uh, and how did you get introduced to that? And uh, was it a part of your training or just overall looking for a mental health, mental preparation balance? Uh, I think I found Headspace just by accident. I can't remember. I've been using it for a while now. Um, I guess it was because I knew I should be meditating. I've read about it so much, and I'm like, I just need to create the habit out of it. And I felt like I, I needed that guided meditation at the time. Like I, I was new to meditating, and I, I, needed, I needed somebody to guide me through it. And that's how I, I started looking for, you know, an app or something. That's how I found it. And... I, I meditate in the morning, like I, I'm sure a lot of people who meditate do, do also. And I have my little spot where I go. I have the time that I go. And then um, I do my meditation there. 
Yeah, I uh, I discovered Headspace. A, f- a friend recommended it this year. It's it's one of the best discoveries I think I've found of, of this year for myself. I think I always knew I was a person that could benefit from meditation, but without the guided aspect, I never really knew what to do. Uh, so exactly. I, w- I would get discouraged and give it up after a while. So Headspace has been uh, really cool and instrumental in that in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Same for me. <laughs> Cool. So, um, Anna, what what are you looking forward to um, the next few you know months, years? What are you What are you working towards? What are you hopeful for? Uh, not only as a competitor, but as a as a diabetic. Um, well, as a competitor, I'm gonna say first, I am hoping I can schedule one more fight for this year. So, hopefully, for December. Um, I also have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament coming up in a couple of, no, maybe four weeks. So those are like the couple of things that I'm focused on in my training. Um, as for everything else, I just um, finished a one-year uh, health coach training program. So I am just um, graduate. Actually, today is the ceremony, so I'm going to be a health coach. <laughs> oh, congratulations. So, thank you. So I'm going to be starting my own little um health and nutrition uh, coaching business very, very soon. So this is a project for the end of the year and for next year and the years to become. And then with diabetes, um, I mean, I'm following a lot to research what's going on. And um, I really, I'm hoping for a cure. I know that it's been coming for a long time and I, I believe it will come in our lifetime. Like I, I'm sure it will. Um, so I'm just very curious what, what they are doing in, in the research field. Um, and yeah, just say, staying hopeful and hopefully one day when I retire from fighting, which is probably within the five years time, I would say, um, if there's no cure by that time, I'm probably going to transfer to the pump and get all the benefits from the, um, new stuff. Yeah. I- I'm I'm hopeful for a cure too. Uh, I I really do believe that, like like we talked about earlier, it is like the best time to live with type one. Um, yeah. And and you know part of that means that there is better technology like the pumps we were, that you were talking about, um, and continuous glucose monitors and better meters and better technology and better research. But also, like, I think a big part of it is the community, and that's the thing that I've only recently discovered. You know, you mentioned earlier that you didn't really talk about your diabetes much. Uh, I was very the same, very much the same way. Uh, and it's interesting how, you know, some different, like, life paths open up when you do that. Uh, and I now know so many people because just of saying, hey, I have type 1 diabetes and I want to try to spread the stories of the other people who have it uh and also just getting to meet these different people so it's kind of interesting like the uh i'd i would love nothing more than from all of my type 1 diabetes friends to be people who used to have type 1 diabetes um but until that happens i think like it's a good it's a good time to be around absolutely i i i love love the idea of your podcast and and the community i i 100 agree and like I said, I, I used to be kind of a loner with my diabetes. I didn't have, I didn't know anybody who had it. And I just, I guess I was so used to just dealing with myself. I didn't really ever reach out to anywhere. And it's only only recently, mainly through like online communities and stuff. But I've realized that there's, um, 
a lot's going on and I think it's really, really cool and I've been much more involved and, and would love to be. I mean, my dream would be able to, you know, represent the Titan deputies community one day when I when I get to UFC and, you know, bring the awareness. That's what I would like to do. So hopefully that will happen. And and I, I really do hope it does too. Um, and I think that's, you know, what we're all secretly hoping for kind of behind the scenes. Um my uh, another thing and it's, I think it's a good transition now uh, something that I always ask all of my guests um, is uh, and I gotta paint the context for you you're obviously somebody that's that's traveled You've, you're in an airport and they're about to close the gate um, you have 30 seconds before they close the gate to your flight and you can't miss the flight uh, and you know for you maybe that's there's like a there's like a wedding or something back in Finland and you gotta make the flight there's no more flights you can get uh and then you encounter someone who's either been recently diagnosed or uh, is struggling with uh, with diabetes. What's the one thing that you tell them? I would tell them that don't ever let diabetes define you. Don't ever let it define you. Um, you need to to have the courage. Have the courage to to do whatever you want to do in life, whether, you know, whatever you're going through. Um, I think that's, for me, I've always been very courageous with my diabetes. I've never let it stop me from doing anything. It doesn't mean I didn't, um, you know, prepare or take care, but I never let it be a reason that I couldn't do something. So that's what I would say. No, and I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, it can be really easy to fall into that trap of only just being a diabetic um, or defining yourself that way, putting yourself in that bubble. And a lot of people, I think, they become a little bit of victims. Oh, ah, poor me, I have this diabetes. And, and yes, it's unfortunate, but like we just discussed, like it, it is not that bad to live with diabetes in today's world. Like there are a lot of other diseases that are way worse than diabetes. Like you could have dealt, been dealt with a lot worse cards than you have. Like, I'm not happy I have diabetes, but I'm also happy that I don't have something much worse than this. Like, I, it, could, it could always be worse. Um, so I don't like to think of myself as a victim. I've, I've never have. Um, and I never let it let it define me or what I can do. Um, so I, I would just want to, if I ever met anybody like that, I would want to encourage them to, to never give up. And keep going well yeah and, and i think those no matter how much we may hear those things like hearing it from the right person at the right time can make a huge difference so oh, absolutely. um absolutely. great so anna thank you so much for coming on the show um i really appreciate it it was great to meet you um for our followers and listeners who want to uh you know connect with you online what's the best place to find you well first of all thank you for having me it was my pleasure um, if you want to connect with me, you can find me from Instagram with my name. That's Anna, A-N-N-A, my last name, H-Y-V-A-R-I-N-E-N. Um, Facebook is Anna J, and also my last name, H-Y-V-A-R-I-N-E-N. Um, and through Instagram, if you go to my profile, you can also send me email from there. Great, and we will include uh, your all all your links in the show notes for those who uh, 
are you know spellingly challenged or you know or, yeah. or, or intimidated by <laughs> typing your last name into the URL bar. Uh, we'll absolutely do that. But again, thank you so much for coming on. It was really great to meet you, and look forward to uh, you're gonna have to tell us about uh, if you get another fight this year, so we can. Oh, uh, I will. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank that'll you. be great. So good luck in your training, and uh, we will talk again soon.